Hey there, before we get started with the show, we just want to let you know today's Crypto Daily Briefing is in partnership with the Crypto Phenom Letter. This is a one-of-a-kind premium investment newsletter service that highlights the next winners coming in cryptocurrency tokens and equities. Get special access today at phenomcrypto.com slash realvision. That's phenomcrypto.com slash realvision. Mark Dale, founder of W1 Curates. Welcome to the Real Vision Crypto Daily Briefing. Thanks for having me, buddy. Thank you. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. I'm so excited to get into our conversation. Before we jump into our conversation about digital art, let's do a quick market update because things have been a little bit hairy over the last 24 hours. Bitcoin is down over the last 24 hours. It's trading around 26,000. And we're seeing a bit of a recovery since the initial slide. Ether is doing a little bit better than Bitcoin, it turns out. The current price is above $1,800. And that's all after news that the SEC has sued Coinbase. This was widely expected after the recent Wells notice. The SEC, the SEC is alleging Coinbase is running an unregistered securities exchange. The lawsuit comes a day after a similar action by the SEC against Binance and its CEO, Shengpeng Zhao. We'll continue to have conversations about this, what this means with lawyers and other experts throughout the week on Crypto Daily Briefing. But I really want to get into our conversation with Mark today. Mark, thank you so much for joining us today. Would you mind telling us a bit about your background and how you found yourself um, launching and running an NFT gallery space? Um, yeah, so taking it back from the beginning, I worked in a traditional, uh, traditional art gallery on Bond Street um, about 20 years ago now. Um, we was, I was seeing a lot of artists transitioning from traditional into digital or taking traditional paintings and putting a digital twist on them. Um, we was always tasked with trying to source or help with the technology to make that happen. Um, and it wasn't, it was 20 years ago, it just wasn't there. You know, you were seeing these amazing artworks that were, that were being brought to life the content looked amazing, but then as soon as it transitioned over onto whatever format you'd be playing it on, if it wasn't just a normal commercial screen, then it would let it down. So we kind of set out on a bit of a mission, or I set out on a mission to build a LED screen that represented an artist's color palette true to form. So by saying that, we had many trips back, back and forth from Shenzhen. Uh, managed to find out what components worked best within a screen, what was most reliable, and what components didn't let the, the artist's artwork down. So, for instance, a lot of uh, main uh, LED companies use mixed-batch LEDs. When they're using the mixed-batch LEDs, they're always a different variation of colour, so that affects the colour palette. And then you also see different coloured diodes that are used. So if you're not using the darkest of diode, what will happen is you'll be shining a white light through the back of a grey diode, which the, you lose the depth, the contrast, and sort of all that kind of amazing black look if you're working with a lot of black content. So we kind of worked out over a few years what, what product we was happy with, was a bit hesitant to take it to market. So we started to do installations in some high net worth clients' houses, Say so if they had a, one in particular client had a Picasso, we went to their house, we installed this huge six meter by three meter screen in their house. Um, 
we then photographed the Picasso, filmed it. The Picasso went into storage. We put the the original artwork kind of in a digital format on, on the person's uh, uh, screen in their house. They loved it, said, look, I've got another three houses. Could you do those? So we, we kind of rolled it out across all their estate. And then it was a friend of a friend. Oh, my friend's just seen this. Can you come and do that? Can you come and do that? So we probably spent best part of five to six years flying around the world with this new product, installing digital screens in a large format in people's houses to show their traditional art, um, which was really cool. And then lucky enough, we got approached by a company called Flannels on Oxford Street. Um, they said, look, we're opening a flagship store. At the same time, we secured the contract to do the whole Fraser Group and Flannels estate. So we was already doing tech for the company for their kind of like commercial side of it. And they was like, look, we love what you're doing with the art. Why don't you do something temporarily while we're, while we're opening the store? So it was always going to be a temporary installation on Oxford Street. Um, we put it up and we, we was testing for about two years. And then we, I mean, we had a lot of contacts in the traditional art world, but we was kind of reaching out and they're saying, oh no, it's a billboard, it's this, it's that. And we was kind of trying to explain, look, there's a lot of, a lot of thought gone into this. It's not just the windows, you know, when it's in direct sunlight, the screens will raise in, in brightness. They drop down in the evening. Um, there's a lot of stuff behind the scenes that we put into this. So it didn't look like a billboard. Although with the traditional art world, it was, uh, it took a while of convincing. Um, then all of a sudden we were speaking to a friend of ours, David LaChapelle. He agreed to let us do an exhibition with him. And from then on, it just it just blew up. Um, we was working with we've worked with Gagosian, we've worked with um, Christie's, Bonhams, um, featured um, Jeff Coons, Tracy Emin, um, Michael Craig Martin, David Bailey. So from the traditional art world, we kind of we layered up really quickly, and that was probably just at the start of the pandemic. Um, but obviously, galleries were closing, people couldn't do exhibitions, so we become more valuable to the traditional art world by having this space what no matter what was happening in the world it could always run so that kind of gave us a a real boost and obviously once we started working with these names we kind of when, when when we was approaching an artist we drop a few names they or they'd look on our website and be like right these guys these guys are okay because the the blue chip level we was working at um so we we launched the outside and then through the pandemic obviously there was a lot more digital art being exposed. It's been there for years, but it's uh, it was just being exposed more. And I was visiting um, a lot of fairs, going to a lot of conferences, and just I just couldn't. I, I from from having a lot of friends in the traditional art world, and they were looking at this kind of like beautiful artwork, but on a TV screen, you could see that their head couldn't get round what is the difference and they're comparing it to like screensavers and things like this and I was just thinking I don't think these guys have been given the best chance these digital artists who like I mean they're phenomenal who just have put hours and hours into making this work for then it to be not represented in the right way so I was I was lucky enough to be able to convince uh, flannels to give me their basement after after quite some time they gave me the whole basement. We've turned it into a four, 400 square meter uh, gallery um, that launched in August this year. Uh, since then, we've featured um, 
six and five, Maxim Zeskov, uh, recently featured Beepol, uh, joined forces with um, 33 NFT, Cosmo Dimitri Group, uh, featured Andre Resinger. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just gone from strength to strength. So now, now we're kind of focusing on, this year we're heavily focusing on digital art, where we've opened the gallery. Next year, we're going to be focusing on bridging the gap between traditional and digital and taking some artists who are in the digital space into doing like physical objects and stuff within the gallery. And then we'll take in some traditional artists into the digital space to let them exhibit in a digital way rather than a traditional way such as a canvas or sculpture. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's what I find so fascinating about your story and the story of W1 Curates is that it really is the natural evolution of art and art history and the way in which galleries sort of need to adjust to the changing of the times. And, you know, what we've seen, especially in the traditional art markets, is minus your Sotheby's, your Christie's, your Gagosian, there's a lot of pushback against digital art and NFTs. Obviously, those are sort of two separate things. Digital arts can exist not as NFTs, but they're getting conflated. So have you um, faced any criticism from your old colleagues in the traditional art world about what the fuck are you doing with these scamming NFT guys? I mean, even though you are working with the best of the best, has there been any pushback? To, to be honest, we, we're in a real niche situation where we're still working with, we're still working with a lot of traditional artists and a lot of traditional institutions. And we are featuring the biggest digital artists in the space. So yeah, you get the odd comment from time to time, but we've, we've gone into this so heavily. Like we've, we've also just opened a creative studio where we're supporting, supporting these, these projects um, from day one. We've opened a recording studio We've opened a smaller immersive space in Shoreditch. We've just collaborated with uh, Damien Lazarus. We've just done something last week for the Renaissance show with Beyonce. We're, we're, we're at a level where people are kind of, they're commenting, but they can't really say too much because we keep kind of being lucky enough to exhibit these amazing artists or musicians or, you know, we're, we're kind of pushing, pushing the boundaries a little bit with digital art by, you know, what is what is digital art? What is art? Art, music, culture is all connected together. So we're we're playing our part in just not stereotyping ourselves down one road and doing a wide variety of collaborations. That that is digital art because it's on a digital screen. So you know wh wherever it comes from for us, art is art, and you know we will support that. Um, and 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 that's what we're doing going forward. So so in answer to your question, yeah, we've had a few comments, but. I, I think we're pretty much left alone, which is which is quite good. Yes, I think it is quite good, and especially considering you know the great work you guys have been doing, especially with the Beeple and the Cosmo Medici show you guys did very recently. Can you talk to me a little bit of how that came together, and sort of what it's is there any difference working with a digital artist versus a you know digital NFT artist like Beeple? Um, Beeple's amazing. He's 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 really cool. Um, we. So we we done a collaboration last year for Freeze um, with um, 33 NFT and uh, Cosmo Medici Group. Mm -hmm. So last year we exhibited during Freeze the whole collection of Cosmos and 33. I got Richard Mill to sponsor it. Uh, so we done like a huge dinner for uh, 50 people, 25 of Richard Mill's biggest collectors, 25. Um, artists so we had uh, we had Wisby there we had um, Andre Resinger, Maxim, 
um, various different artists and we've done like a panel talk to talk about it. So this year we was like, right, okay, let's uh, let's do something with Beepole. And Cosmo was like, okay, Cosmo just acquired some some works. He acquired six or eight physical works and digital works that, that, that pair together. Um, so we just continued to talk and then we met up in Miami for, for, for uh, Art Basel. And then from then it was like, right, let's do it. Obviously, we the guys started to hear about our space. Uh, Beepole was opening his space in Charlestown as well. So they was already making content on that scale. So they said, look, if we just, if we give you the content, can you do, I mean, and that's what's happening quite a lot, really. A lot of the artists are saying, well, look, we'll give you the content and you make so. So we curate the exhibition together and then there's a back and forth process before it gets signed off. Um, but that all come about through, through 33 and Cosmo. Um, and then we followed, so we done, we had the next exhibition. The first night we done a dinner and a, and a panel talk. Uh, I managed to get Nick Knight to sit on a panel with myself and Beepole to talk about traditional art, art, where it's crossing over and what's going on, which was really cool. The second night we got audio fly to, to fly in from Ibiza and play a gig where we had, I think we had like three and a half to 4,000 people arrive on the night. So that was huge. And then we'd done a book signing after, we'd done a, a small visual podcast and then he left. It was like a whirlwind. He was then, we had him for three days. He got here, he smiled, he greeted everyone and uh, quick turnaround and he left. And then um, a couple of weeks ago, we released the second part to the exhibition, which is the physical artworks. Um, so they, that was released at our studio, which is on our, um, on our website, if anyone wants to see that. Yeah. Well, um, before we keep going, I want to just remind everybody watching to join the conversation and join us in the chat. Put down your questions wherever you're watching. We'll ask the best ones on air. Remember, Real Vision members take priority. But the good news is crypto membership is free. Go to realvision.com backslash crypto to sign up. And if you're watching on YouTube, tweet this link and follow Real Vision at Real Vision on Twitter. So, Mark. One of the things um, I'm curious about is, are you guys at all exploring blockchain technology or are you guys focused solely on the exhibition of it with these screens? So we're, at the moment, we're focusing on, what we tend to do is we tend to try and be really good at one thing and then branch out rather than try and do everything. So we're trying to be like the go-to place for people to build projects or release projects or you know or or help someone on the way to releasing something so we, with the one-stop kind of shop mentality you could come to our creative studio build a whole project pick it up test it in the studio and then drop it on Oxford street or you could basically have the project ready drop it on Oxford street so we're planning on opening these sites globally and we're kind of leaving the specialist i like you mentioned blockchain to to be involved, we will kind of let everyone stick to what they know best. So even when an artist comes to us and says, you know, I'd like to release the work at the same time and this, we don't pigeonhole people into making a decision. We, we kind of, we'd like to say, open. so if someone wants to release an artwork and they're not too sure what marketplace to release it on, we won't have low influence in that. We'll just say, look, whatever you decide will support you as an artist. Working in galleries for many years, I saw a lot of artists, traditional galleries kind of, they'd get chewed up a little bit and spat out and then the relationship would fall, fall, fall out of bed. And we're kind of, we're here for the long run. And for us, it's about putting the artist first and doing what they're comfortable with. So whether the artist brings 
some a project that they're doing already on a blockchain or whether they're doing it with a marketplace we try to stay as open as possible so at the moment we're just focusing on the the venues the place to go the people to we're the people to go to if you want to release a project and we can make that happen in in any way and then we'll start layering up once we've got our multiple locations oh i love that and so are, one of the questions I have about you guys, are you representing artists at all in the traditional gallery way that like Gagosian represents certain art, art? Or are you more, is it more sort of looser that it's just you guys are trying to create sort of in the Web3 ethos, just a community of creators that are supporting each other and lifting each other up? For me, it's about community. It's about supporting all these artists and being part of a bigger picture. Um, I don't want to hate contracts, hate putting people in contracts. Um, this, this is the future. This is where it's going. We're, we're, we've just been signed by Richard Mill. We're doing four projects them a year with them a year. We've got Silverstone uh, Grand Prix where we're doing the whole art project for that. Um, we're just about to release a project with Creed. We've, we've got some big brands talking to us and it's more important for us to have a black book of people that trust us that we can work with than trying to screw people down into contracts. Like everyone's, everyone in this traditional, uh, sorry, everyone in the digital space is like, we, if we all work together, we grow together and we get to where we want to be, where it's a bit more closed door in the, in the traditional market, as you know. So we're just trying to, we're just trying to kind of lean on the, the contacts we got, the friends we've got, a friend will recommend a friend and just trying to do it as loosely as possible so we leave options to to grow rather than signing certain artists and it's you know we want to support the artists not sign them into contracts basically yeah i mean that's that's absolutely the ethos of web3 and i think it's perfect that you guys have truly embraced that one thing i'm curious about is as you're talking to these artists um that you are all working with and helping build communities around have you found that there's been any sort of sea change in enthusiasm considering the fact that the traditional art market and the NFT market more specifically are quite down? Yeah, there, there is, look, there's, there's still a hell of a lot of money around because people are still pushing for big projects. People are still buying artwork. Everyone's just a bit more cautious. I think like the, the digital artists who were getting these big numbers as being a little bit more cautious. A lot of them seem to have in their head that if their work goes on the blockchain and that is not minted, then that looks bad for them. Um, so they're kind of picking up the they're picking up the the method of saying, okay, well look, we'll we'll do an exhibition or we'll do a show, but everything will be inquiry only. And once the person has bought the artwork, then they'll mint it and sell it to the artwork. So that that's happening a lot. Um, a lot of the artists are saying, look, we've done quite well. We'll just wait until the market goes back. And some of them are saying, look, I'm not even interested in selling the work at the moment. For me, working with you is more about me expressing myself and getting an exhibition, physical exhibition under my belt where we can invite people to see it in a different format. So I think every artist we work with is on a different mission. Some are working with a lot of brands. Some are, you know, Andre Resinger's just done something with Dior. Um, Six and Five's just done another big project. There's loads of these guys who are already working with brands who are kind of, now they're being signed by instead of being the person designing stuff for the brand they're being signed as an artist for the brand which is super excited so i think a lot of people are taking up different avenues and the market will come back around it's you know the art market follows the, the it's the car market the watch market the luxury market 
it just spiked so much it had to reset. So, you know, some people who haven't experienced that before are kind of losing their losing their mind and they're like, oh my God, the whole world's ending. And other people are like, look, it's just an adjust and it, you know, and then we carry on. I think that I think the whole adjustment, what's happened, is a really good thing because it's, you know, they're because they're I can understand from certain people looking there, there was a lot of chances kind of, I'm just going to do this or do this project or that project. And, and that, that gives the art market a bad name because people are just, people are just in it for the money and the quick buck where when something like this happens, that all kind of disappears a little bit. And it's the guys who are actually here for longevity thinking about their careers that, that will get somewhere. And that's, you know, I think, I think the whole adjustment has been a good thing. And, um, yeah, I'm just look, looking forward to seeing some amazing stuff come out of this. Yeah, that's really, um, I, I really love that. And I, I, it's so interesting to me because, you know, people talk about these down markets, these bear markets as time to build, but usually they're talking about VCs and um, coders and engineers and all that. But even in arts, you know, this is the time to build. My dad um, is an art collector. And I can remember, you know, the cycles of art and it, you know, it very much corresponds to the actual markets, as we all know, you know, once we get into a bear market and liquidity tightens up, people start trying to sell some of their more physical art pieces, taking a bit of a loss, there's not as much demand. So, you know, obviously, because it's crypto, the whole NFT digital art side is on steroids, so it feels even more intense. But at the end of the day, I really do think that you know, this is just another cycle and those who, you know, really care about the art and put the art first over profits are going to go out and survive. And so on that sense, what are some of the more up and coming artists you guys have been working with that you're really excited to, you know, be working with and see what they produce? Okay, so we've got, we have got, um, I've just gone dead in my mind. We've got Kid 8 who's launching in July. Um, he's launching with physical sculptures and uh, we've got an amazing project with him. He's also, there's another little twist to the Kid 8 project, which I, I, I won't give too much away, but it will become apparent next month. Um, we are working with Ash Thorpe. Um, he's coming up during Freeze. We're working with G-Monk, uh, both who are doing some like epic, epic stuff. So they're, they're a couple of the, the names we've got coming up this year. Um, and then we're also doing something big during freeze with a big established um, auction house or blue chip gallery, should I say? Yeah. Well, very exciting. Um, uh, one thing that I wanted to sort of touch back on is: Are you seeing more NFT-minded artists getting into physical art as well? Like you, we've seen with people. Is that? Big, uh, yeah. Definitely definitely what i think what what people like the feedback i'm getting from the digital artists is the the thing that look the thing to do is if you're a traditional art collector you want to you want to purchase a piece of art you want to put it on your wall or you want to put a sculpture in your house you want to touch it you want to feel it you want to you know you want to be part of it so with digital art a lot of these digital artists are right. How can I how can I bring my digital art into that into that world where someone can literally touch it, feel it, and it become part of the interior of their their house or office or wherever it may be? Um, there's a lot of artists now transitioning into that space and taking like Beepulse Human One and things similar to that, where they're making like they're making sculptures with a digital element to it. 
or some people are okay well if i you know if with kid eight he's got his kind of kid eight uh small figure that walks around that if i made that as a sculpture would that be someone transitioning from buying a sculpture because then you may have a screen behind it where you've got like an animation of the physical sculpture um i think that's a really clever move and i can see a lot of people a lot of people then transitioning from traditional into digital because it kind of goes hand in hand. Uh, Cosmo just bought eight works from Beepole where they're physical canvases, but they've got an NFT attached to them. Um, a lot of brands, like, the NFT being attached to art, like art is, for me, there's two different things. There's an NFT and there's digital art. And there's all, I've always looked at it as digital art. Now, I personally think NFTs will be really useful for a lot of things. And I think just because, I mean, it's glad they was connected together because it kind of loops it all out. But I think the way that people are connecting the two together should be kind of forgotten about a little bit. It should be like, there's digital art. And if you want to sell it by doing it as an NFT, then do it as an NFT. But if you just want to sell it as a piece of digital art, then that's fine because I was selling digital art in, in the gallery works in the Fine Arts Society, which was the, the, one of the most traditional galleries in the whole of the UK 20 years ago. They'd sell a TV with an artwork on it and put a beautiful ornate frame around it. It's been going on for years. That didn't need an NFT attached to it. So it's like, you know, digital art for me is digital art. And, and uh, the NFT thing is going to be very useful, very useful. And, uh, you know, people automatically, when you say NFT, uh, will talk about it dropping in money and, and stuff like that. But it's uh, for me, it's not the case. I just kind of ignore that. Yeah, very well said, very well said. So um, just want to take a quick question from uh, one of our audience members, Ralph. Um, I hope this is Ralph Humphrey, one of our favorite viewers. Um, he says it looks cool, but I can see pushback against energy consumption. So obviously this is probably a little bit in with the whole, um, you know, Bitcoin mining thing. But um, how is the energy consumption on your gallery and these frames? I assume you guys have really worked it out. 100%, yeah. So basically, the when you've, with LED screen, the higher the brightness is, the more consumption they'll pull. So our screens are always on 30%. During the day, they fluctuate up to 30 to 35 to maybe 40%. Um, so there, if you look at our screen compared to any other screen on, on Oxford Street, there's no glare. It doesn't light up the whole road. It's it's done in a certain way. There's different um, sensors on each window, individual window that turns the screen up and down. And also our screens physically turn off when they're when they're playing black content. The screen's off. So that's the only way we we could get this depth and this black. Whereas the other screens on uh, from a commercial uh, any commercial company, they'll be lighting backlit grey, which gives you that washed out. So Look, it's a digital screen. It uses energy. We can't deny that, but we've done every, everything we can to pull that back as much as we can and be as, uh, be as efficient as possible. Absolutely. And it sounds like, you know, the overall goal is to represent the art as perfectly as possible, which means you're not going to be, you know, blasting a Picasso out at uh, 100 lumen or whatever it yeah, is. Exactly. You know, yeah. you're, you're reducing it to equal, which is, you know, on the lower end of that brightness level. We, we had a lot of, um, yeah, I mean, when I launched, uh, when I first launched W1Q8s, we had, a, we had the local authorities in within about a week trying to shut us down. So I've had a court battle. I've had to explain this in court about what we're doing. And 
products and you know what technology we're using and what we're doing to protect the environment and what what process we thought about to make it fit in fit in with the current environment and make it a, a, like a pleasing to the to the local buildings around it so we actually won that court case which was great and then and then we went on to work with um to work with the local authorities to do a another exhibition where we worked with a guy called Anthony James, his sculptures in the back there. Um, we had 250,000 visitors in less than three months to a, it was a digital art exhibition, but with kind of physical digital objects. Um, we done that with the local authorities and since then they've left us alone and uh, they're really happy with us and we tend to collaborate once a month. So uh, we, I can assure you we've been grilled about this, but we're, we're in a good place. I assume as much. I assume as much. Um, well, Mark, it's been absolutely a real pleasure speaking with you today. I'm just so impressed that instead of, you know, immediately pivoting away, you recognize that this moment is part of the evolution of arts all the way back from cave paintings to today. It's all one big spectrum that we're just existing on and that you are... Um, ultimately embracing the Web3 ethos of it's all about community and artist rights and all of that. So before we let you go today, any final thoughts you want to leave our viewers with? No, not at all. I just, you know, with W1 Creators here, we support we support emerging talent at, at our smaller gallery. We it's, uh, support established artists at our bigger gallery. We're now venturing out into, you know, if you do an immersive experience, you need music, you need audio which is why we launched our um, recording studios, um, just done a project with Damien Lazarus. We've got Seth Troxler coming up. So we're doing a lot of stuff with like house tech, digital artists, combining the two together. So, you know, any creatives want to get out there, want a hand, want to, you know, to be pointed in the right direction, then give us a shout. We're here to help. And uh, yeah, and let's, uh, let's continue to push this, this huge wave and see where it can go. We're, we're looking to expand globally. So we're, uh, yeah. We're, we're here to talk. Oh, I, I love that. Well, thank you so much. That's it for today. Check out the Real Vision website. We're currently running a festival of learning campaign focused on AI. You can get seven days of Real Vision premium access and insights for free. Head to realvision.com backslash festival of learning. We'll be back again tomorrow with Adam Nash from Daffy. See you at 9 a.m. Pacific time, noon Eastern and 5 p.m. London time. Thanks for watching, everybody. Hey there. Thanks for joining us today. Just a reminder, today's Crypto Daily Briefing is in partnership with the Crypto Phenom Letter. This one-of-a-kind premium investment newsletter service highlights the next winners coming in cryptocurrency tokens and equities. Get special access today at phenomcrypto.com realvision. That's phenomcrypto.com 